Good morning, Salt City. This morning, we are going to be opening up back in the book of Acts. And for those of you who haven't been with us before, we just open up the Bible and teach through books of the Bible here at Salt City. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that the Bible has actually been breathed out by God, that it's his very word. And so we don't believe it's any person who steps on the stage who changes the lives of people in the crowd, but we actually believe it's as God's word speaks to this church that people's lives are changed. So we're looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning, just seven verses. So let me read that to us. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So thus far in the book of Acts, we've seen the history of the church unfolding since Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. And what we've seen is that the church is multiplying and growing, but not without major problems taking place. So the first problem that sort of arose in the book of Acts was this problem with persecution. So the disciples are boldly going out and preaching the word of God, but there's always strong opposition. So they're being beaten, they're being thrown in prison, and they're being mistreated. And then just last week, we saw that there's actually a problem, not just outside the church, but there's actually a problem inside the church with this specific couple named Ananias and Sapphira, a problem with hypocrisy. They didn't want to be good, but they wanted to look good. And so they had acted like they gave a certain amount of money when they only gave a lesser amount of money, and as a result, God punished them. And this week, maybe we run into the most surprising of the problems. It's actually a, an administrative issue within the church that reveals a deeper difference within the church. But we're going to see, this could actually be the theme of the entire book of Acts so far, but it's especially the theme of this text. And that's that these problems create opportunities for multiplication. In other words, in the hands of God, these problems actually can be turned into good things, even though in and of themselves, they're bad things. Because God is a master at changing bad things into good things by his mighty power 
and work. So problems create opportunities for multiplication. And so we're basically looking at the way that problems become opportunities for multiplication. So we're going to see, first of all, that growth exposes problems. Secondly, that problems demand leaders. And thirdly, that leaders multiply ministry. First of all, growth exposes problems. Okay, so imagine this. This is going to be really hard to to, uh, believe. People were complaining in church. All right, people were literally murmuring. There's problems happening in the church, and people are frustrated. And the problems were actually related to growth. So over and over again, we see throughout the book of Acts that the church is multiplying. Thousands of people are joining the church. And one of the things that the early church was committed to was taking care of the widows. And so my guess is they had some sort of sign-up sheet or something like that, and you'd take a casserole over to the widow, and you'd, and you'd help you know, serve her and take care of her because she wasn't able to go grocery shopping and get the food for herself and all that. And so when the church was small, that worked really well. But as the church started to grow, it created an administrative nightmare because what, first of all, took just one person caring for another person now required a system of care. And so the church began to become overwhelmed with this growth problem, and it had this specific manifestation. But this specific manifestation, what it did is it actually revealed a deeper problem within the church. You notice there's these sort of two groups within the church at this point. You have the Hebrews and you have the Hellenists. So there are two separate ethnic groups of Jews. One are Greek-speaking Jews and one are Hebrew Jews. And what happened was the first group of people who joined the church were Hebrews. And so the church was taking care of the Hebrew widows. But what started to happen is more Greek and Hebrew Jews were added to the church and the church had a decision to make. Who do we take care of when our church is overwhelmed with this growth problem? And what was revealed in the church is that among genuine Christian people, among converted people, there was actually an underlying problem in the church with racism. What happened was the people didn't actually know that that was a problem in their own hearts. They thought that they were coexisting in the church and that everything was going just fine. But when the growth took place and they got overwhelmed and they had a choice to make, do I serve this specific Greek widow or do I serve this specific Hebrew widow? They made the choice to serve the person that was just like them. So an administrative issue actually revealed a deep heart problem. On the surface, the other two problems in the church maybe look like bigger deals than this one, but I think as we start to think about this, we can even feel our blood boiling like, what's going to happen? What are they going to do? When something this kind of nasty 
is revealed in the church. But isn't it true that not only in churches, but also in other organizations and even families and even our individual lives, that growth begins to expose problems? It's not just suffering in our lives that reveals our heart issues. It can also be blessings in our lives that reveal heart issues. And what those things do is they tend to stretch our capacity and we tend to react by being overwhelmed and things begin to come out in our lives that we never even knew we were there. Let me give you an example from my life. So in 2013, this was five years ago, Melissa, my wife and I, went from zero to four kids at once. Okay, many of you have heard this before. I use it as an illustration all the time. And you would too if it happened to you. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the way that that happens is with nine months to go in your adoption process, you get pregnant with twins. Okay, so we did twins and adoption, and later we learned special needs all at the same time. And here's what happened in my own life. I started cussing. <laughs> I did. I really did. It's embarrassing to, to share. But what happened was we, we went from zero to four kids, and I was so completely overwhelmed. I, I'm not a cusser. I wasn't a cusser before this. But, like, I don't even know if I cussed in college or early marriage. But all of a sudden, I have four kids, and there's a growth problem. And what was revealed was that there were these nasty four-letter words boiling in my heart. And I got pressed. I got pushed. And all of a sudden, I remember my wife saying to me one time, like, really? Like, you're a dad now, and you're letting four-letter words fly around our house. That's not really what I expected to happen. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, yeah. That wasn't part of the, the playbook. I, I don't remember reading that in any parenting book, that that should be part of my strategy. You know, and I was a pastor too, so that just complicates things and, and makes, uh, makes it more embarrassing. I'm not saying that cussing is a good idea, by the way, and I'm not saying that I'm justified having cussed, but I'm saying that it happened, okay? That was really an issue in my life. And here's the thing. Growth, right, the blessing of our children exposed what was really in my heart. I had a choice to make. Do I admit it? Do I face it? Do I apologize for it? Am I honest about it with my connection group at the time and the people in my life? Am I saying, this is real, this is happening in my life? Or do I stuff it, do I hide it, and do I refuse to deal with it? All of us, as we are stretched we experience this pressing in on our hearts. And there are things in our lives that are exposed that we don't know are there. How are we gonna deal with it? Are we gonna put on a face? Are we gonna be religious about it? Are we gonna admit the honest truth about it and begin to deal with it? You know, I'm sort of seeing this this uh, issue on the horizon with our church. Isaac mentioned this last week. On a normal week at Salt City, this room is full, which I think this text is coming at a really important time for our church, actually, because I believe that we're gonna continue to experience growth in our church, 
And so we're going to go from likely one service to two services. And here's going to be all of our tendency to start to complain, to start to murmur about that, to instead of looking forward and seeing it as an opportunity for the kingdom to expand and grow, we're going to look back and say, you remember the good old days of Salt City when we were in one service? We could all see each other. That was awesome. I felt so cared for then. Now I don't get to see my friends from my connection group. Salt City used to be this organic, fun place to go to church, but now I think that they really want to be a mega church, and that's really bumming me out. Right? We start to say things like that because the growth begins to press in on our hearts, and we like the things the way that they used to be, and we don't like the way that things are becoming. And maybe some really nasty stuff will start to come out of our hearts the way it did in the early church. And the question is, how did they deal with it? And how is that instructive for the way that we can deal with what is in our future individually and as a church? Here, here's the second point. It's that the way they deal with it is through leadership. Problems demand leaders. Okay, if growth exposes problems, problems demand leaders. Okay, so there's deep racial differences in the church, and there's also practical administrative issue. Like, okay, how are we going to feed the Greek widows who are not being fed? That's the question. What's revealed in the process of figuring out how that's going to happen is that there's actually racism in the church. So we're sort of sitting on the edge of our seats. How is the leadership of the church going to solve a problem that has the potential of being so divisive? Here's the apostles' first response. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. In other words, people in the church are coming to the apostles. They're like, we need you to solve the problem. And as a leader, whenever people come to you and ask you to solve a problem, here's your tendency to deal with the thing right in front of you, the urgent thing rather than the important thing. So people want the leaders to deal with the urgent thing. And they say, here's what we know for certain. We are going to devote ourselves, as we have been, to preaching the Bible and prayer because the power is in the word of God. So we need to come up with a different solution than that. We're not gonna go off the front lines. As important as it is to serve widows, we're not going to do that, which I'm sure at first kind of rattled some people's cages, upset them a little bit, because a lot of times people want leaders to do everything. Instead, they said, we want you guys to pick out seven men, and we want to set them aside for this task. Here's the really interesting thing that's actually maybe a little bit upsetting. All seven of the men that were chosen to serve the Greek widows had Greek names. So here's the solution from the apostles as they prayed and sought the Holy Spirit, set aside these seven men, was they essentially had segregation going on in the church. Greek men serving Greek widows, likely Hebrews serving Hebrews. And we look at that and we're like, it, it says... And this solution pleased the whole gathering. We're like, what? That's the solution? 
Are you kidding me? You guys didn't have a meeting to discuss the racism? Here's what I think often we want when we look at leaders in our lives. We want leaders to solve problems that only God can solve. Here's what the the disciples did. They solved the problem that they could solve. They solved the administrative issue. They left the heart issue to God. And so what looks like a half-baked solution to us actually was a turning point in the life of the church for them to deepen in their unity. So as members of Salt City, it's important that as you follow leadership, that you understand that there are some problems that are so great that there are no perfect solutions to those problems. And that will help us begin to be a place where we are unified and not a group of complainers, of murmurers. Because there are honestly problems that any leader, no matter how good of a leader they are, they just simply can't solve. I thought of an example of this when I was directing our college ministry called Salt Company in Iowa City. I came on to the staff of Veritas Church at that time, two years into the church plant, and began to lead the college ministry. And what had happened just before I came was most of the leadership team had been kicked out because they were either smoking pot, drinking too much, or sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend. So essentially, the prior leadership to me had just cleaned house. So I came in, and we sought to establish a leadership team. And it was kind of a ragtag bunch. And one of the biggest problems that we had at that point was we had a very uncommitted, flaky core. Like you looked at that group and you're like, I don't think this group's going to change the world. (laughs) But we had to take some steps forward. We had to move ahead. We couldn't dwell on the past and the problems that were there. We had to move forward. And one of the issues that was going on in the ministry is we needed to raise money to pay for our new meeting location. So we got this group together. I'll never forget this. We sat in a big circle, and I told this group that we were going to be working concessions at the Iowa Hawkeye home football games. I don't know if you guys know this, but Iowa Hawkeye football is like a big deal in Iowa. So this was like, I remember just students like, but I already have season tickets. I'm like, you heard of a website called StubHub? Sell them, right? And so all of these leaders are all of a sudden required to work seven games of concessions. What was I doing? I was solving, seeking to solve a heart issue in an administrative way. Let's just get 35 leaders in a concession stand together. That'll make us a committed core. Let's make everybody give up Hawkeye football tickets and give their life to pouring money into this ministry. You know what happened? People were mad. People were complaining. People were upset. It was a slow process, but I really believe that was a seed that was planted in the ground that is slowly growing into a strong oak tree of a ministry in Iowa City. 
I recognize I can't solve the heart issue, but I can put something administrative in place that helps us go in the right direction. And that's what the apostles were doing. They weren't saying we're okay with racism. They're not saying we're okay with the way that things are, but let's get a solution in place, even if it's not a great one, so that we can continue to move forward. So what begins to happen is the widows are being fed. The Greek widows are being fed. The Jewish widows are being fed. And the church continues to grow. Leaders are raised up. So here's the third point. Leaders multiply ministry. So growth created the problems. Problems demand leaders, and leaders multiply ministry. Do you remember this verse, Acts 6, verse 7? And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So because the church was able to rightly delegate the administrative issues to these group of Greek men, and the apostles were able to continue to devote themselves to the word of God, the church continued to multiply. Because the word of God changes people's lives. The word of God is powerful. So the disciples refused to panic. They continue to do what they're doing. They continue to preach the word of God. People are coming to know Jesus. And so here's the thing. The church didn't offer a perfect solution. But the church raised up these new leaders within its body who were now doing ministry. And as a result, the church continued to grow. Will we, as Salt City Church, going forward, be content with imperfect solutions in our midst and be unified around the things that matter the most? That's the question. Will we be content to find our unity, not in all of us being the same, but in the gospel of Jesus? Here's what excites me. When I watch videos like that baptism video, and lives are being changed within our church, I look around, and it really starts to make all of the problems that exist in our church, and even in my own life, seem small. Because something so great and so amazing is happening in our midst that those things really get pushed to the back burner for us. We say, you know what? God is doing something amazing here. He's bringing people from death to life. And because of that, I'm able to, instead of being a complainer, be a person who works towards solutions. See, that's the difference between a leader and somebody who's just sitting on the bench in the church, is people who are leaders seek for solutions 
Whereas people who sit on the bench are content with complaining and murmuring. The question I have for you, are you a person within Salt City Church who is helping us work toward solutions to the problems that we have, or are you somebody who is complaining about the problems that you see? It's okay to see the problems. Sometimes we need to see them, but only if we're willing to move forward and work for a solution. Let me give you an illustration of this. Okay, imagine you're at Thanksgiving. There's always problems at Thanksgiving, right? You're arguing with Uncle Ned. There's somebody there that you haven't seen in a year, and you're kind of glad that you haven't seen him in a year. There's pro- problems happen, right? Families get together. Families are messed up. People argue. People disagree. All those things. So imagine your family's sitting around, and there's this tension in the room. There's these problems, and people starting to murmur and complain. And then all of a sudden, the oven just bursts into flames, okay? The turkey's on fire, the stove's on fire, the kitchen's on fire. All of a sudden, there is so much of a greater concern going on in that space that all of the disunity and problems and complaining doesn't matter anymore. Everyone is on a mission, Let's get every man, woman, and child out of this house as fast as we can so that no one dies. That's what the church is supposed to be like, guys. There is something greater that we are seeking to accomplish within the church than just to try to get along with people that we don't like. We're seeking to be on mission for Jesus and to literally rescue people from the fire of hell. And I believe that as we stay on that mission and as we basically sort of minimize our differences and move forward, even with solutions that don't seem great, as we move forward on mission, what we will find is that we are unified with the people next to each other. We'll be like a band of brothers and sisters marching together toward a common goal and seeing Jesus do something amazing. You really want to experience this reality? Come to our baptism service. We've been talking about it a lot, but I think that our baptism service next week, BWP, I think it really represents what we're all about as a church. That is our organizational win It's when we get together and we link arms and we're unified and we're saying, you know what? It's not about my preferences. It's not about the kind of music that I like. It's not about the length of service that I like. It's not about how we do connection groups. It's not even about me finding my best friend in this church. We are on a mission with Jesus. It's about the next person coming to know him. It's about the next person getting saved. And how does that happen? Within the early church. Here's why I've been calling the apostles' decision a half-baked decision and a decision that really didn't solve the problem. But here's why, even though it looks that way, it really isn't that way. It's because the apostles understood that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
The power is in the word of God. You want to solve a problem with racism, here's the answer. It's in the word of God. They devoted themselves to preaching and teaching the word of God because no administrative solution can change the human heart. Only the gospel can change the human heart. And this is what the gospel is. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's the gospel. We are not divided by race or social class or by gender or by age. The most foundational reality about us as Christians is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way that we have been made brothers and sisters in Christ is through faith in Jesus. When you're standing at the foot of the cross and you see Jesus hanging there, there cannot be any disunity. Because you begin to understand that the Son of God went from heaven to earth to save you, that he became your brother. He died in your place. And you begin to see that the only proper way for you to live with other people in the church is as their brother or sister who lays down your rights and preferences for their sake, that you begin to love them more than you love yourself. And here's specifically what the Apostle Paul had said in that passage. There's neither Jew nor Greek. So here's what the apostles had done. They solved the administrative issue. They've got Greeks serving Greeks. They've got Jews serving Jews. But here's what they're doing as they preach the Bible. There aren't any Jews or Greeks. There aren't. That racial and ethnic distinction has been leveled by the blood of Jesus. And do you know what I think probably began to happen? People said, this is messed up. This administrative solution is messed up. And I hope, maybe it, happened, maybe it didn't, we don't know. Maybe what happened is the Greeks are like, hey, how about we start serving the Jewish widows? the Hebrew widows. And the the Hebrews are like, hey, maybe we start serving the Greek widows because we want to more accurately show to the world what this gospel of Jesus is all about. What would it look like if we became a place where racial and class and gender and age distinctions were wiped away by the gospel of Jesus? We lived in a different way. Here's part of the reason I think this church began to multiply and grow is because the outside world looked in even on kind of halfway bad solutions. And they're like, you guys are doing it better than us. There's something different here. By God's grace, we can be a place that isn't perfect, but is different enough from the world that people look at us and they say, They've got something that I need. What is it that you have that allows you to overlook all of your differences and live as one unit on mission for the glory of Jesus? May that be the case for our church. Let's pray. Jesus, 
Thank you for this, this super practical text in scripture where we see how the apostles and the disciples and the early church was able to solve this administrative issue in the church that revealed these deep differences between people. And we look out at society, we see the racism and injustice and all the problems and we see that no politicians are able to solve those problems. And you've given us this task within our church to be different, to be a city on a hill, to live at the foot of the cross. And I ask that you would help us to acknowledge our issues, to bring them to you, to repent, apologize, and that we would uh, be a place where people look and they say, there's something there that's, that's happened, there's something different, and that the watching world would see and that would, they would want to be a part of your kingdom in, in this city. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.